Well, good morning. It is good to be uh, back with you in this online format this morning. And uh, I'm thankful for this uh, beautiful day that we have. In fact, I'm, I'm enjoying the fact that uh, yesterday and uh, uh, today that the, the weather is so much warmer and uh, there's a greater ability to be able to get outside and uh, especially in the midst of the shelter in place order to uh, spend that time outside, even if it's just on the uh, front porch or in our backyard is uh, is so good a feeling for me. Uh, you know, as we move into and prepare for the summer season ahead, uh, I, I love that opportunity that we have to be outside, uh, perhaps later into the evening, to enjoy more time uh, uh, out about in nature or even just at our own home. But there's one thing that I hate, and that is mosquitoes. You see, uh, mosquitoes seem to love me for some reason. I don't know if I've just got really tasty blood or what it is, but they always seem to pick on me. And not only do I end up with lots of bites when we move into the summer season, uh, but those bites tend to uh, uh, develop into big, uh, irritating welts, which then for the next couple of days I uh, am, am tempted to scratch at and uh, I'm reminded of how this little insect gained victory over me. And uh, to be honest, uh, that is something which is, is challenging for me uh, when we're sat outside as a family, maybe having a cookout or, or uh, around a campfire and everybody else is, is laughing and, and enjoying themselves and having fun. I'm kind of sat there and a part of me is thinking to myself, I am being eaten alive. You know... There are times in our lives when we experience an overwhelming and devastating conflict. It might be a time, a situation where we've experienced the betrayal of a friend or even of a spouse. It might be that we go through the incredibly painful experience of suffering some form of abuse, or it may be that because of a decision that was made, factions have developed and relationships seem almost irreconcilable. But there are other times that as we're moving through the journey of this life, it's not so much about those kind of big conflicts. It's not about the betrayal. It's not about the uh, abuse. It's not about the uh, the conflict that is developed into factions, it's those little things. It's those kind of mosquito bites, those things that seem small and irritating, and yet they can, over time, if left undealt with, develop into more significant things. It's the issues that come up day in, day out. And especially the more time that we spend with people, sometimes it is those small things that start to accumulate that can leave us in a place where we are feeling exhausted from what seems like a constant stream of conflict. Uh, we can feel hopeless because of the many skirmishes that we seem to be experiencing. We might even get to the point in some of our relationships where because of these little things and such an abundance of them that we feel like we're just ready to throw in the towel. As we journey through this life, 
the reality is that we do face conflicts of many kinds. And as we've been talking about in recent weeks in this Peacemaker series, we are called as followers of Jesus Christ to be those who practice biblical peacemaking. It's not easy to do. We have to continually return to the Lord and seek him for for grace and, and, and for strength and for wisdom as we work through the sometimes difficult path of confession and forgiveness and reconciliation. But what about in those small things? I mean, in in, in those things that start off more like minor irritations. I mean, do we really have to go through uh, confession and forgiveness and a whole process of reconciliation whenever somebody happens to roll the toothpaste tube instead of squeezing it from the bottom? As followers of Jesus Christ, how do we respond to the small things? Uh, How do we pick those battles? How do we know how to live as biblical peacemakers in the midst of a world that can sometimes be frustrating and irritating with conflicts around every corner? Well, you know, as the apostle Peter wrote the letter that we call 1 Peter to the early church, to believers who were actually scattered throughout uh, the Roman world, He's writing to a people that he refers to as strangers and aliens. Strangers and aliens because because they are not at home in this world. In fact, at this time as he's writing, he's writing to, to believers who were being persecuted in all manner of different ways because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of that persecution that they were experiencing was extremely intense. Uh, There was imprisonment and even martyrdom. Uh, Some of it was uh, was in an economic sense. They were being uh, separated and people would not do business with them. In in some instances, they were actually being thrown out of their homes, uh, out of their jobs, even out of the city in which they lived. And they had scattered throughout the whole ancient Roman world. And he refers to them as strangers and aliens because of the fact that they had a different value system. You see, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are not supposed to be at home here in this world. Uh, There was a time in which we valued and pursued the same things as other people who don't know Christ value and pursue. But not anymore. Having come to Christ, we have laid down our own goals, our own agenda, and now our agenda, our goals are that of Christ. Our desire is to honor him in every way. And there's a sense in which that puts us at conflict with the world around us. It puts us at odds with those who don't know Christ and are not seeking to honor him. And it's in the midst midst of that environment, to, to that kind of people, to these strangers and aliens, which is really what we all are for followers of Christ, that Peter writes this letter of 1 Peter. And as he writes, he he encourages these people who are being persecuted, who are experiencing all manner of conflicts, to entrust their case to God, uh, to remember their calling and their identity in Christ, uh, to seek him with wisdom and to be biblical peacemakers, just as we've been talking about these last few weeks. But as he writes to them, and, and we look at our passage this morning, 
uh, we also have some instruction here as to how we live as biblical peacemakers in the midst of not only those big things, but these smaller conflicts. How do we deal with those day-to-day issues with a Christ-like attitude? And if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to join me this morning in 1 Peter chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at just a few verses beginning in verse 7. So 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Here's what we find as we read it. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What a wonderful passage. Uh, What a wonderful reminder here. And uh, what we see as we look over this portion of 1 Peter is that we are to live with eternity in view so that we can serve one another and focus on the things that really matter. Do you notice that in verse 7, he begins with this interesting statement. He says, the end of all things is at hand. And and so what he's showing us is that we are to live with eternity in view. We're to live with eternity in view. Now, by saying the end of all things is at hand, uh, some of us may think to ourselves in the midst of what's going on with this COVID-19 virus, uh, we may feel a little bit like the sky is falling. Certainly, if you're spending a lot of time watching some of the different news channels out there, you may be tempted to feel that way because that's sometimes how it feels like it's being reported. But but he's not talking here about this kind of timeline to the end of the world, to the destruction of things. Rather, what Peter is reminding us of is the fact that Christ has died, that Christ has risen, and yes, that Christ is coming again. He's talking about the certainty of eternity, that God, who is utterly faithful to his promises, will indeed do just as he has said. Christ Jesus will come again, and when he comes, he will make all things right. When he comes, he will bring perfect justice and so as followers of Christ, we are to live with a mindset, with a, with a recognition that Christ is coming again. And, and throughout the New Testament, we are instructed to live as people who are ready. There's a sense in which we should live as people who already have our bags packed and are ready to go. You know, when I'm getting ready to go on a trip, I actually have uh, what I call a go bag uh, because I travel frequently uh, normally. And, uh, uh, and so this bag is pretty much always packed and ready so that uh, when a trip comes up, all I've got to do is grab one or two last things and I'm off. There's a sense in which that's how we're to live the Christian life. We're to be prepared and unhindered by other things. You see, if we are to live out our calling in Christ as peacemakers who have eternity in view, then we must not be rooted in the things of this world. 
The world in which we live in gets kind of uh, weighed down by different things. In fact, the values that most people in our culture live by are the values of comfort, of convenience, and of our own reputation. Uh, So much in our culture and so much of people's lives is all about the pursuit of comfort. So we can accumulate more so that we can be more comfortable, more secure, have more of a sense of, 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 of fitting and being Uh, being at home in the midst of this world. And sometimes conflict arises uh, when we feel like our comfort or uh, or the second of those values, our convenience, our our desire for things to simply uh, um, be the way that we want it to be, for everything to work out according to our plans and, and, and not to have to face any obstacles to the things that we want or we're pursuing. Conflict arises when those things somehow are threatened, when somebody places an obstacle in our path, where somebody threatens our comfort, when somebody says that we can't have the things that we want. Uh, But also a lot of people in this world live with the value of their own reputation. Everything that they do is ultimately to present an image of themselves that they want others to see. But as followers of Jesus Christ, we don't live according to those values anymore. We perhaps once did, but our comfort, our convenience, our reputation, we lay those things down in light of our service to Christ and our desire to honor him in everything. So no longer are we interested in our own comfort and our own convenience, and no longer are we pursuing our, pursuing our own reputation, our own agenda, but now we're pursuing the reputation, the agenda of Christ himself. And we live with eternity in view when we remember that Christ is coming soon. We don't know when, we don't know the day or the hour, but we are to live in such a way that when he returns, we are ready and we are about his business. I mean, think about this for a moment. When we face a situation of conflict, we can maybe ask ourselves a question. Is this something that I really want to still be preoccupied with when Jesus returns? Is this something that actually has eternal significance to it? We are to live with eternity in view. And as we do that, it's interesting because Peter here helps us with four specific instructions as to how we live this out as biblical peacemakers, keeping eternity in view. The first thing that he says, you'll notice with me, is that we are to think rightly and be clear-minded so that we can pray. He says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Well, when we live with eternity in view, it, it gives us confidence. You see, we're able to get up each day, even in the midst of what seem to be overwhelming circumstances, even when it seems, when it seems to be that we're living in a world that is so uncertain, that where the stock market is up and down, where we go to the grocery store and we don't even know if we're going to be able to buy meat, uh, whether or not there's going to be enough of that in stock. We can live with confidence when we keep eternity in view because we know that God is still on the throne, that he is accomplishing his good and glorious purposes, that if you're in Christ, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus, and that when Christ comes, the reward will be great, that these light and momentary afflictions 
do not even begin to compare with the surpassing weight of glory that is to come. He says, he shows us that living with eternity in view then not only allows us to to, to live with a greater sense of confidence, but it also allows us to change our focus from our own comfort and convenience and reputation to the glory of Christ. And, And the way in which he speaks of this is related to our prayers. It's interesting because he says here that we should be clear-minded, we should be sober-minded and self-controlled for the sake of our prayers. Because you see, sometimes when we are focused so much on the circumstances, when we're focused so much on each individual situation, or even for that matter, each individual conflict that may arise, our prayer, our our time of seeking God in prayer can, can often be distorted. It can be, uh, first of all, we can feel a, a sense of helplessness, like we don't know how to pray because we feel so overwhelmed. Or, or, or secondly, we can find ourselves focusing our time of prayer on things that really are not matters of eternal value. Let me think about this. How much of our time in prayer do we spend praising God simply for who he is, for his greatness, for all that he has done in Christ? Uh, how much time do we spend uh, in, in prayer in confession and in repentance and, and, and seeking God concerning our own holiness and, and, and godliness that we are called to? How much time do we spend uh, praying for the salvation of the lost, that those who don't yet know Christ might come to experience the forgiveness and the grace and the reconciliation that's found in him? You know, I think, that sometimes if we're honest, and I know this is true in my own life, that sometimes when I feel overwhelmed by the circumstances of life, when I forget to keep eternity in view, then actually a lot of my prayer focus becomes about asking God to do or to work in or to give me the things that I want for my own comfort for my own convenience, for my own reputation. And so I simply start to spiritualize worldly values. It says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. We might paraphrase this first part of the passage by simply saying, in light of eternity, set your focus and your prayer on things that will matter for all eternity. But what does this have to do with peacemaking? That's the series that we're in. And and, and how does this have to do with our relationships with others? Well, he he actually goes on and helps us understand this in the second part of the instruction here. Because he says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And what we see here is that we are to persist in a love for one another that covers sin. This instruction that he gives is about loving one another earnestly is really interesting. He actually is using language here that speaks of how an athlete strains every muscle in order to make it over the finish line first in the race. It's this idea of putting our full and complete exertion into the task. And that's the kind of way in which he describes how we should love one another, in particular within the Christian community, other believers. And and what we see is that an eternal perspective, uh, remembering that the end of all things is at hand, that Christ is coming soon, this eternal perspective and this earnest love allow us to overlook 
many sins that might otherwise divide us. Again, we can think of it in terms of the end of all things is near, so do I really want to make this a big deal? I think that Peter, as he was penning these words under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, probably had Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12 in mind. Because there, in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, we, uh, uh, we hear an echo of this. There it says, hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. And we've got this contrast there in this proverb between hatred and, and love and between stirring up of strife and covering offenses. And, and, and so really what the proverb is instructing us in is the fact that there, are, uh, there is an attitude which takes a situation and it develops it into greater conflict. But there's also an approach that we can take. Uh, there's a response that we can make to many circumstances where we might otherwise be tempted to turn this into a conflict. And, and it's ruled by love. And it chooses deliberately in an intentional way to pass over that word that was spoken, that action that was done. We also find the same principle in other passages in the Proverbs as well. For example, in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11, we read, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is, the, it is his glory to overlook an offense. And likewise, uh, we find wisdom in Proverbs 17. The beginning of strife is like the letting out of water, so quit before the quarrel breaks out. Not only in the Old Testament we find instructions like this, but in the New Testament, for example, in the book of Ephesians and again in the book of Colossians, there's an interesting phrase that the Apostle Paul there uses. He, he instructs us that we are to bear with one another. Listen to these words from Ephesians chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You notice that? We have to be patient and bearing with one another in love. And again, in Colossians chapter 3, we're told that we are to bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive this idea of bearing one in, uh, with one another is, in a sense, saying put up with one another's differences and idiosyncrasies. Act with loving patience toward one another for the sake of unity. And in both of those passages in Ephesians and in Colossians, unity within the context of the Christian community is... is uh, what is at stake in those instructions? You know, one of the wonderful things about when we practice this idea of love covering over a multitude of sins, this earnest love, is that when we overlook the wrongs of others, we are actually imitating God's gracious forgiveness toward us. I mean, think of that. Uh, for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, we were at 
enmity with God. Uh, We had sinned against him, and yet, because of this great love with which he loved us, he gave his son, our savior, to bear our sins, to die our death, to take our place, and to offer us new life in him and forgiveness of sins. In fact, Psalm 103 uh, it speaks of this. I love what it has to say. It says, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. And listen to this. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. You know, you and I, when we sin against a holy God, are, are deserving of instant judgment. And yet God is so patient, leaving room for repentance. He does not deal with us according to our sins. And when we overlook the sins of others, when we practice this earnest love that Peter is talking about, when we are biblical peacemakers in these kinds of affairs, we are in a sense imitating the kind of forgiveness, the kind of attitude, the kind of love and grace that God extends to us. But this is not something that we can conjure up ourselves. We need to be prayerful. We need to come before the Lord. We need to bring those things where we are tempted to respond and and to escalate and elevate conflict. And we need to seek the Lord for grace so that we can extend it to others. I think it's helpful that uh, N.J. White uh, explains uh, a a little bit about this passage. Uh, He says, a person who is under the control of, of godly love acts when a private personal injury has been done to him as though nothing had occurred. In this way, by simply ignoring the unkind act or the insulting word, he brings the evil thing to an end and it dies and leaves no seed. And so he's talking about a a helpful principle here. Uh, First of all, he informs us that that, that we should consider uh, um, this approach this covering over a multitude of sins when we are dealing with a private or a personal injury and we should should choose not to retaliate but i think it would be helpful if we take a moment just to consider what this passage does not say Uh, what is peter not saying here well first of all he is not saying that we are supposed to put up with acts of violence or abuse against us uh, he's not saying just ignore them or act like they're not, uh, they, they don't happen. He's not saying that when a sin has been committed uh, that has caused injury or harm, that we don't address it and deal with it. In fact, there are plenty of other places that we can go into Scripture. Uh, Matthew 18 being one of those where it is clearly apparent that we as believers are instructed to go and to, uh, uh, to address matters of sin with other believers. And we're to do it in a biblical manner as we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks. But what is it that he is suggesting that we do here? Uh, how do we uh, break this down and, and see how we should do this covering over a multitude of sins? Well, a couple of things to keep in mind. I think, first of all, as we've just heard from N.J. Wright, is that, that we should evaluate, is this a private personal injury that has been done? Or is it something that is more public and the ramifications of which are, are, are wider or longer lasting? I think we need to ask the question, 
and we need to have the attitude uh, what is this that is causing me to want to respond i i need to when conflict arises when these mosquito bite type conflicts come up i need to uh, to to put myself in a situation where i'm saying i need to surrender my right to be right or my right to win you know sometimes conflict takes place especially in some of our closest relationships because we have this desire to be shown or to be seen to be right so we want to have the last word Uh, we want to prove our case we want to win at all costs and so if we're to practice this kind of love that covers a multitude of sins we need to surrender our right to be right we also need to refuse to suspect that there is intentionally a sinful motive behind every single word or action that a person does. You know, sometimes we can allow those mosquito bites, those, those little things to develop, and we can leave them undealt with in such a way that they start to accumulate. And after a while, after they've started to accumulate, we start to see that person only through past issues, past errors, past conflicts. Or perhaps we have somebody in our life who has hurt us terribly in the past. And now whenever anybody says something or does something that in even the remotest way reminds us of that person, we, uh, we look at them now through the lens of that person who had caused us great harm in the past. And so uh, if we are to have this attitude of earnestly loving one another and allowing love to cover over a multitude of sins, we need to refuse to suspect sinful motives behind every action or word. We also need to tear up our record of wrongdoings. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 uh, says that love keeps no record of wrongs. Again, sometimes we like to keep a list so that we can pull it out and throw it in the face of people when they do something that we don't like. We also need to commit to talk through issues with that other person without accusing or taking offense at everything. Maybe we need to have conversations sometimes, either in the moment or when things have cooled down a little bit and simply sit down with the person and say something like, I was really surprised earlier when you said this or when you responded in this way. Could you help me to understand how you were feeling? And just listen to them and allow the situation to, to, be, to be discussed in a, a, a level and loving manner. And actually in a way where, where it can be used and that conversation can be used to strengthen your relationship with one another. So how do we uh, uh, evaluate uh, when we ought to co- uh, um, cover sins with love? Well, again, I think that uh, Wayne Grudem has something helpful to say on this. Wayne Grudem, the theologian, says, where love abounds in a fellowship of Christians, many small offenses and even some large ones are readily overlooked and forgotten. But where love is lacking, every word is viewed with suspicion. Every action is liable to misunderstanding and conflicts abound to Satan's perverse delight. And so I think he gives us a helpful warning there of what the result is when we don't allow this kind of love to abound between us. We can ask the question, in the situation of conflict, is 
this a preference of mine or a legitimate difference? In other words, am I concerned about my own comfort, my own convenience, my own reputation here? Do I just want to be right? Do I, do I just want my way to be accepted as the right way? Because if that's the case, then cover that over. Am I motivated, motivated by a personal desire to be right and spoken about that? Am I offended because I am concerned that this action, that this uh, word that has been spoken is somehow comes into conflict with my desires for my comfort, convenience, reputation? In other words, have I lost sight of eternity? Have I lost sight on, on, on the glory and the honor of Christ? And am I setting myself in that place again where other people are supposed to serve me because if i'm taking that kind of attitude i need to lay that that down and not take offense and again asking the question is this a private or personal injury or are there lasting consequences that will impact situations beyond our personal relationship in which case i do need to take this to a further level and address the sin in this situation but but i want you to understand that when peter says that uh, we are to love one another earnestly since love covers over a multitude of sins he is not saying that we are to be passive he's not saying ignore the situation and pretend like it never happened let it go away what he's saying is don't be passive instead be active but in, don't be active in in conflict be active in making the determined decision before for God, that I will love this person and not pursue tension or conflict with them. How do we do that? Ultimately, we need to keep on coming before the Lord. We need to keep on entrusting our cause to him and asking him for the grace and for the wisdom and for the strength to be a peacemaker in the midst of our relationships. Briefly, Peter also gives a couple of other instructions here. He says next that we are to be graciously hospitable. He says, show hospitality in verse 9 to one another without grumbling. And I think the reason that he puts this here is because when we live with eternity in view, we actively seek to share our lives with one another and evenly allow ourselves to willingly be inconvenienced for the purpose of meeting each other's needs. This was a big issue in the early church. There was a great need for hospitality as people were being persecuted, as they were being thrown out of their homes or losing their jobs. There was often situations where believers would need to take other believers into their home to live with them for a season. That still takes place at different times today. Uh, the command for biblical hospitality is still one which is relevant for us today. Certainly, it's more difficult in this particular season that we're in with the virus. But ordinarily, and as we come out of this, we need to be opening up our homes to one another and sharing meals and sharing our lives with one another and engaging with one another as it is uh, safe and appropriate to do. But this is a biblical command. What does this have to do with conflict, though? What does this have to do with that idea of covering over a multitude of sins or living in light of eternity? Well, when we live in light of eternity, we hold things loosely. You see, the things that this world values, everything that this world around us suggests that we should do, and the natural inclination of the flesh is to hold on to what we've got as tightly as we possibly can. Sure, we may share it occasionally, but only when it's convenient, only when it's not too difficult, only when it, it, it contributes to our own comfort, convenience, or reputation. 
But when we look with eternity in view, when we, when we have an earnest love that seeks to have, practice what Peter is talking about here, when we are biblical peacemakers, what we do is we take the things that we are tempted to hold so tightly to. And through hospitality, through sharing our lives with others, we begin to loosen our grip on it. And as we loosen our grip on it, we begin to invite others in and we begin to share what it is that God himself has graciously entrusted to us with other people. One of the greatest ways to reduce conflict, one of the greatest ways to be a biblical peacemaker is to loosen our grip on the things that God has entrusted to us to recognize that we are stewards of them, not owners of them, and to willingly and lovingly share them with one another. And then finally, he gives this instruction related to that in verse 10. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's buried grace. And Peter here goes on to talk about what we often refer to as spiritual gifts. He doesn't go into a lot of detail as to the different gifts. In fact, he just categorizes them into two groups, into speaking gifts like uh, uh, that would be like teaching or, or wisdom or exhortation. Uh, and to serving gifts, perhaps like um, uh, gifts of mercy or gifts of help or gifts of administration and other gifts besides. He, he, he just breaks these in and he says, whatever, God, whatever gift God has given you, understand he's given it to you for the purpose of you using it to serve and to bless the people around you. To hold what you have, not as being your own, but to share willingly with others. And to do that as representatives of Christ himself. In fact, this passage closes with this wonderful uh, reminder. And that is that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And so uh, really what we could say is that this passage is teaching us to live in view of eternity, to, to think rightly for the sake of our prayers, to love earnestly and cover sin, to willingly practice hospitality and to graciously serve one another so that as biblical peacemakers, as followers of Jesus Christ, our lives are not about the things that this world values. And not about our own comfort and convenience and reputation, but rather our lives in everything are aimed with the goal that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. This kind of living is alien in the world in which we live because it is rooted in this eternal perspective, because it is empowered by the Holy Spirit and because it is focused on the glory of God. As we close our time together, let me ask, are you staring at the things of today and each day through the uncertain lens of the here and now? Or are you learning day by day in the grace that God gives you to start to see things from an eternal perspective, to remember that Christ is coming soon, to live differently as a stranger, an alien in this world? Uh, what are the motivating values through which you respond to others? And how does that impact your ability to be a peacemaker? 
is your desire for your own comfort, for your own convenience, for your own reputation. And therefore, as a result, when anything comes into conflict with that, it becomes an issue with another person that causes division? Or do you have an attitude of love as a peacemaker that is seeking to do all things for the glory of God and for the reputation of Christ? Our call to be biblical peacemakers, our call to be followers, disciples of Jesus Christ, is a high and holy calling. And you and I get to put it, our, our calling in Christ on display most beautifully, most gloriously through our interactions and our relationships with others around us. And that means that we need to learn in the grace and in the provision that God gives to daily be biblical peacemakers who know what it is to earnestly love one another. Friends, would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. And that as we've been reminded this morning that you have not dealt with us as our sins deserve. Help us, O oh God, to be those who represent you well. Who fix our eyes on matters of eternity. Who are living alert and ready, knowing that Christ may come at any time. And desiring to be found about your business, seeking to honor you. Father, I pray that where we are facing situations like mosquito bites of those moments of conflict, those little things that seem easily to irritate and to distract and to accumulate into bigger things. Lord, I pray that you would teach us to, in wisdom and with earnest love, entrust our cause to you and to know when it is that we need to address a matter and when it is that we need to, out of love, cover over a multitude of sins. Lord, we thank you that our hope is in you. We thank you that you, the just and righteous king, will make all things right. And we thank you that even the challenges and the difficulties that we face in this life do not even begin to compare with the surpassing weight of glory that is to come when Christ returns. Praise be to you. Strengthen us for this week, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again, we want to thank you for spending this time together with us this morning. I want to uh, do as Pastor Rich did at the beginning of our time together and just encourage you to... Uh, uh, to go to the, the link at the top of the uh, feed where you can find uh, a link to the communication card and uh, let us know that you've been a part of this time together this morning. and uh, Let us know how we can serve you. And uh, we have some wonderful resources that we would love to get into your hands, like that uh, slippery slope card that Pastor Rich mentioned about. We're looking forward to connecting with you again uh, next week. But even now, let me just close us with this reminder from our passage this morning, this benediction. 
may you and I and all God's people live in such a way that in everything God may be glorified through our lives in Christ Jesus. For to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God bless you and have a wonderful week.